this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 19, celebrating our second anniversary with new news about SurfingNash.com and Year 3 of Surfing the Nash Tsunami, followed by discussion of the retrospective analysis at Dale NIT. This conversation starts with Stephen Harrison commenting on my statement about the challenges of quantifying qualitative measurements. He quotes British author Rupert Sheldrake discussing the idea of morphic resonance, which he describes as mysterious telepathy-type interconnections between organisms and collective memories within species. He describes Nash as this kind of you-know-it-when-you-see-it phenomenon, and goes on to describe the reliance on specific data points that FDA uses over generally knowing what Nash resolution looks like morphically as ultimately dooming the Regenerate trial, and says, that's what we need to get beyond. Louise Campbell asked whether it would be wise to collect broad data that physicians collect an initial screening of patients to create a tool the primary care can use based solely on those answers and AI to get patients into or out of NAFL trials, an idea Naeem Al-Khoury responds to enthusiastically. In the end, the group begins to banter about how many projects they might finish in the first year of the project. It is really exciting to hear Stephen, Mazen, Yorn, and Naeem talk about their plans for nail and IT analysis. In conjunction with Litmus, Nimble, and the Goldmine Project at UCSD, this is the stuff that will propel all of us beyond the biopsy in a scientifically credible, patient-sensitive way. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Stephen Harrison. Some of the comments you made, Roger, are really simplistic in, in tone, but they're very complicated to unpack and unwind. So dating back to the advent of the FDA getting into the business of finding a drug to treat NASH, we had to come up with something. We came up with some histopathologic criteria that had modest outcome data linked with it, particularly NASH resolution. And fast forward now to where we are, and we realized that those criteria are challenging to hit consistently for lots of reasons heterogeneity, inter and intra-observer variability, the size of the biopsy, the staining that goes with it, the processing that goes with it, the shipping it all over the place. Some of those we've fixed, some we haven't. And now we're left with trying to come up with a better test, a non-invasive test, that we can't go back to where we were 15 years ago and just pull a marker out of the air and say, this is what we'd like to study. The authorities have said, well, it needs to link to an outcome, despite where we were when we came up with the histopathologic criteria. To me, it's it's a bit like this phenomenon of morphic resonance. Have you guys heard of that? Morphic resonance is written by a guy named Rupert Sheldrake. He's an English author, Louise, just uh, to let you know. I think, in fact, I'm not, I think he's from Cambridge. Yeah, he's he's a Cambridge-trained guy. So it pains me because, you know, there's Oxford and there's Cambridge, right? So, But morphic resonance is the idea of mysterious telepathy-type interconnections between organisms and collective memories within species. And he gives examples of this, how do dogs know when their owners are coming home? They're in the window barking, and you hadn't even turned the corner yet. Or phantom limbs, so somebody still feels their limb is attached even though it's been gone. And, and it's a little bit like that with where we are in the field. Naeem, you highlighted, we know this patient has bad disease. They're F3. They've got architectural changes that are consistent with a NASH phenotype, but yet we just can't bring ourselves to call it NASH by our current definition because we can't find the rogue balloon hepatocyte. But we know it's there. I think part of this is just kind of resetting, taking a step back, getting back to Louise's comment earlier, keep it simple, stupid, the KISS principle. We know these people have disease. When we did a 
post hoc analysis on the intercepts regenerate trial. I'll never forget this. When we were putting together the data that Zoberionasi presented on the phase three data, we said it, it didn't hit Nash resolution defined by ballooning of zero, inflammation of zero to one. But if you look at a Gasol definition of Nash, it did hit stat sig. So here we have pathologists saying, if you just let me look at it, just like Naeem just did, if you just let me look at it, this is Nash. But if you apply strict criteria, the ones that we came up with, it wasn't Nash. That is what we need to get beyond. And my hope is that these NITs, these non-invasive testing strategies that we bring forth, whether it's the diagnosis of at-risk Nash, prognosis, or measuring therapeutic efficacy, that we're able to apply a certain amount of reason to it and understand that no test is perfect, but where we are able to define a reasonable sensitivity and specificity, that that's what we take forward. And know that there's not going to be one single NIT that addresses every one of these questions. And that's the beauty of having Naeem and Yorn and the entire steering committee involved with the process, because each of us brings something unique to the table and a different perspective that could be applied toward the various NITs that are out there, whether that's MAST, MEFIB, FAST, Agile 3, Agile 4, NIST 4, you name it, or something new, Pro-C3, ELF, combination of all of that. What happens next on this path? Jörn Schattenberg. Yeah, I think as Stephen said, we aim to fill the gap that is left behind or left open by the big consortium, Nimble, Litmus, and really um, trying to understand based on the data that's there, explore the aspect, as Naeem said, where do we have the discrepancy? How can we, with the available data, close that gap? Or inform Stephen and, and Mazin and say, well, I think, you know, in the prospective part, you should really have a look at this because we found this is the reason why we fail in a significant number of cases or inform them on certain patients that do have more specific characteristics. Stephen has done that extensively, but pulling this all together, I think the power is just going to go up and maybe even apply some sort of artificial intelligence technologies, get a partner in that looks at the data set and informs us on how to make NAIL NIT move forward. That's from my perspective. That's how the retrospect is going to support the project. Louise Campbell. Can I ask you a question? The data that's being collected, obviously, particularly for the retrospective, does it go as in-depth as people's presenting symptoms, what they regularly presented to the primary care physician with? Because if I look at it as a whole, nail NIT, if we go backwards, should, with the numbers of patients, be able to bring us down to a questionnaire, a formation that somebody can fill in in a primary care physician and say, you are more likely to have this. These are the non that we would suggest because you, you scored X on looking back on that so that we can actually nail the right NITs for the right presenting symptoms or cohort symptoms in each of the individual sort of phenotypes coming through. Do you think that's possible from combining all of you guys work with litmus um, and all of that? Name Alcuri. That's why we love having you on the show, Louise, because you just gave me a great idea. Most of the data is generated in the context of clinical trials, but they have actually quality of life questionnaires and it wasn't even on my radar but now I'm going to look into it and see because often we use the same ones and there are a couple that were developed for other diseases there are some specific ones for chronic liver disease and NASH specifically so yeah I mean we would have to look into this and actually do it the way you said it look at the quality of life questions what are the issues they're dealing with and then look at the NITs look at the phenotype and see if we can actually come up with a specific set of NITs for specific 
presentations. I love this idea. Mazen Nureddin. I love that she gave you the idea and I love the fact that you guys are so far committed to eight papers from what I'm counting. <laughs> but I think the whole point is most people that get to a trial are the very few of the very few of the very few and we want the whole of the pie to be diagnosed. And I, that's I have to brag on... Stephen Harrison. I have to brag on Naeem for a minute. This guy has two little girls. He has a clinic in Cleveland and a clinic in Phoenix. Like for those of you who don't know geography in the U.S., they're not like right next to each other. They're like a long way away. And this guy has the ability to crank out a wonderful paper in a weekend. Like I'm just going to sit down and just put something together. And it it's like this beautiful prose that just happens. And what takes him a weekend to do might take me six months to do. So you might get your eight papers, Mazen. And Yorn is very critical. And he, he looks at things through an eye that I don't have the ability to do. So the two of them, just, you, you know, eight might not be near the ceiling. <laughs> Thank you, Steven. Steven just, the whole thing is just like he wants to increase the eight to 10 and 12. They're coming by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know where to take that since uh, I'm painfully slow writer and I've never written an academic paper in my life. It just struck me. Yorn, you have two girls too, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So all three of you guys, two actually, girls each. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a if, funny if, coincidence. If, yeah. if I count in this one, I also have two girls. So that would make four Is of us, that right? true? Oh, my God. Uh, listen, um, I mean, I love my girls. They're the world for me. And, yep, I'm all behind women power. I have to tell you, my four years old went to the market, and I'm sorry to hijack the talk, here in Spain. And what's that thing, like the flamingo high heels? She goes and grabs this flamingo high heels for kids that is pink with black dots on it. And she's trying to dance flamingo, four years old. And she's wearing those 24-7, including going to bed. And I bet you've got some great video. Indeed. That's amazing. Remember those moments. Yeah. The other saying I'll say is that days drag by and years fly by. Just remember that when they're 18 and leaving home. Or when you spend the weekend with your roughly twice that age and her two-year-old son who's named after your father. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Good memories. Yeah, that was last weekend. It just keeps moving. So let's crystal ball for a minute because it's fun. We're here in a year, and then we're here in two years. What do you think will have come out of this work? What do you hope will have come out of this work? And how do you believe it will shape the prospective trial and the other things that people are doing outside of Nail and IT? Well, let me take the, the global view, and then I'll turn it over to the smart guys. What I want to see come out of this is something that that is crystallized, a, a better idea of the right roadmap for how to evaluate patients with fatty liver disease. Because right now, there are any number of different pathways that you can look at, guidance documents that are out there, and some are similar, some are dramatically different. Some start with a blood-based biomarker, some start with an imaging biomarker, and if all we do is validate one of those current paradigms that we can simplify and spread throughout the world on this is the best way to go about diagnosing this particular patient cohort, that would be my dream and my goal. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to learn a little more about our new full-time co-host, Yorn, and to check in with a couple of our favorite guest surfers. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.